Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh without further ado here's part two yeah tangible assets it it, it gives you a little bit more confidence too although it's a you know oftentimes a bigger dollar amount out of pocket depending on what you're doing but I was also in Tesla. Still am, actually. So I wrote it up, and then I wrote it all the way back down again. And I still have them. So it's one of those you, you don't lose till you sell type things. But mm-hmm. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. You know, one of these days, we'll, I'm thinking Cybertruck release. Maybe we'll finally get another big bump, but we'll see. It's mostly economic-driven anyways. But uh, anyways, back to the stuff that we came here to talk about, uh, real estate. So you, you purchased your first place, and you, had, you ended up buying six of them up in Alaska. Is that correct? Actually, I bought... 26 units up in Alaska. I 20. And was this all this while you were in the service? Mm-hmm. Yep. It was. Okay. Yep. Tell all us that. a little bit about that. So you, you bought one and then that gave you some confidence that everything was going well. And so what what made you want to scale? What made you feel like, okay, real estate's the vehicle that I want to put all of my eggs in. What was what was that that aha moment for you? Yeah. So let me, uh, I guess I can start from that, from the first house hack and how it kind of progressed. But I will say that I still have never put all my eggs in real estate. I still invest a lot of my W2 income into the stock market. I live in California, so there's a lot of tax advantage, you know, savings. I can save a lot on taxes through the stock market. And like I said, I try to buy real estate with little to no money down as much as I can. But that first property, I was underwriting deals for like two years. I finally joined my first RIA and met other investors who were doing it. And I'm like, okay, these guys are actually buying properties here. Like they, they're actually doing it right now. They're not just, there are plenty of people just talk about it, but they're physically buying real estate here. And I met my first investor agent and he was a blessing because I was underwriting deals, but never confident to pull the trigger. Well, at one point I had this phenomenal deal. It was just so obvious. It was right at the start of COVID. So that's actually when I got into escrow, we put in the offer. The deal was a bank it was a bank owned foreclosure property everyone was afraid to buy everything for a moment and lending was pretty tight but i think it was a combination of va loan first time home buyer all that kind of stuff maybe they let me kind of squeak through and i was able to get this property with 40k of equity just day one while buying it with little with zero money rolled you know all the expenses i could into that va loan and uh it was like kind of an awkward duplex. Like the downstairs unit like was missing walls that had curtains because they used it as a commercial space. So the bedrooms were like curtained off. I was like, cool, I can build. Like we can build walls, whatever. That's easy. We can build non-load-bearing walls. And the upstairs unit was like a really small three by three. They really like maximized the bedroom and bathroom count, but the living room kitchen was like laid out terribly. So I was like, okay, this is something I can work with, but structurally it was great. So that was the first one. Spent that first year 
you know, renovating that property, had a tenant in day one. I mean, in three days, we got one of the units turned and had someone in right away. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I got someone paying me every month to buy this. And it was just like the most, or to rent my place. It was like the most amazing feeling ever. Cause I felt like I had so much direct control over how that happened. Um, and then over that next year, we just kept rehabbing the property. And then I realized, you know, kept underwriting deals again. And once I was, I knew that 10 months after I purchased that first one, I could pretty easily buy a second multifamily to house hack. Um, it was a tough one because I went from a two unit to a four unit. So I had to explain why I would want to do that. And, you know, I just explained location, whatever. So there was a little bit of explaining to the lender why I would want to do something like that. But then I, once again, I just underwrote so many deals. I was probably underwriting every single small multifamily in like my local market of Fairbanks, Alaska. And this one was just such a great deal. So, you know, pull the trigger on that. And so then I went from two units to uh, six units, just like that, from the duplex to the fourplex, um, six units. And then I really loved the idea that I was able to buy these small multifamilies, house hack them a little to no money down. But the issue was that it felt slow. So then that's when I started getting into creative financing and off-market deal finding and joined my first official mentorship, I guess, to be able to uh, basically learn about seller financing. That's all I knew about creative financing at the time was seller financing and finding deals off-market. And that's how I was able to really scale um, outside of just house hacking every year. So I can go into that or I can address whatever other questions. Yeah, I have a question. So you said about, um, and for me, I'm one of these people, about most people being filled with dread for like a foreclosure, buying a foreclosure. How did you how did you find that deal and how did you like run the numbers and then actually buy it? What does that process look like? So I don't even know if it was like a foreclosure or bake owned property or whatever it was. It was on the MLS. It was no different. And the agent was like working with the bank the the seller's agent, the seller was the bank. They just didn't want it, right? They foreclosed on this property. They didn't want to, and this property was bought for like 60, 70, like 80K more than I bought it for. And and yeah, it was sold like a year prior for like 80K more than I bought it for. So like, it was just amazing, like just looking at it from that regards. But it was just like a conventional purchase. Like the seller wasn't like a person, it was the bank but I still negotiated. Like I said, I really wanted to come in as little money down. So I negotiated seller credits. I negotiated, I didn't really care about purchase price too much because I knew I was walking into equity, but um, I really cared about, okay, what can you do to reduce all of my expenses to to buy this property? Um, And this was even, you know, when we were in the 2% interest rate time, right? So two, 3% interest rate time. And I was trying to negotiate as much of that stuff as possible, just so I can reduce my expenses. It was to me, it felt no different than just a regular MLS transaction. It was nothing was different about it. And when you so other other areas of deal finding, you mentioned that you have kind of focused on some off market deals. And we talked a lot about off market deals deals on here. And you can let me know if if you agree or disagree with what I'm going to say here. But um, it sounds like everybody's looking for off-market deals. You know, nobody wants to go on MLS and and it kind of feels like a, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, five years ago before the real estate boom happened, the off-market deals were, you could find some really good stuff. You had a lot more, maybe some motivated sellers. Um, they don't have to pay real estate commissions. There's a lot of bonuses for sellers to sell in that way. 
Now, when I look at off-market deals and my game's multifamily, I'm getting sent off-market deals by, you know, wholesalers. And sometimes, you know, a a lot of commercial agents will have pocket listings because that's usually the way that commercial works in the first place. But they're sending them to these people on their CRM with, you know, thousands of people that they're, you know, other potential buyers. And so I'm actually finding a lot of these things, you know, it's almost like it's shifted back to the MLS, on-market deals are almost the better deals these days, at least where I'm purchasing and the type of assets that I'm purchasing. Are you seeing the same thing as off-market still as lucrative when compared to on-market? So we market both. I guess I'm saying off-market because we do do direct-to-seller. For sure, there's certain motivations that we target and we're generating our own deals. I mean, we work with wholesalers typically, but we work with them to convert their cash deals to a creative deal if that's possible. but yeah, wholesalers kind of suck, right? Like there's just so many wholesalers, there's no barrier to entry. And even if they, just because someone has a deal locked up and, and I used to do a lot of trainings for people on underwriting deals, it's kind of numbers has always been my thing. And the first thing that I would say is like 99% of properties you see are never going to be a good real estate investment. So people think just because they have a uh, uh, purchase and sale agreement or they get someone something off market, like, oh, cool, here's a real estate investment. Like I should be doing this. It's like, that's not the case. You still always have to underwrite it. And a lot of wholesalers that bring deals are really bad at underwriting deals or you just don't know how they're underwriting it, right? So we really generate a lot of our own off-market deals. In regards to your question about off-market, on-market, we do both. I've always done both. I love, you know, on-market. Um, it's just on-market is that much more challenging when it comes to the creative space. On-market's great if you want to buy a commercial, uh, commercial, a conventional property, Uh, or through a conventional loan or cash, you can pretty much, you can do that somewhat well. Um, All of my initial purchases were um, on market and uh, just like regular traditional uh, purchases. Same with the three unit we got in San Diego was on market um, because I had a VA loan that I wanted to utilize for that. Um, But in regards to structuring creative deals, usually off market works better or certain types of on market deals, whether they're high days on market, maybe they have low equity, maybe they're going through something, um, the property is about to go into probate or it's uh, someone just moved out of state and now just, you know, or recently bought it a year ago and doesn't, like I said, doesn't have a lot of equity. So we really target specific motivations on market, but I still look at plenty of properties on market, like traditionally and underwrite them and see if they make sense. It's just within a high interest rate market, I don't want to deal with uh, conventional loans if I know I can generate, if I know I can take over someone's existing debt that's in the two, three, four percent range, or I can get a seller finance deal where I don't have to deal with all of the hassle of buying something through the bank. And I've like, I mean, I've house hacked so many small multifamilies, like my DTI is all over the place, right? So it's like I have a you know, creative financing is also allowing me just to buy a lot more deals than I could otherwise, especially with the low, for me, really, like I said, it's a low down payment and on market, you're almost always going to have to do that. Commercial is a little different, right? But for a residential purchase, they're going to want to know where that money came from. You can't just like, oh, here's my PML for everything. Like they're, they're going to want to know the money somehow flow through you, or they're going to have to take ownership of that property as well with you. So those are some of the reasons why I kind of yeah, a little, little bit of seasoning as well in in, mm-hmm. in where the money's come from, where's it been sitting, that kind of stuff is always interesting. And interesting you said about the, the DTI piece, because that's where, as people scale, they, uh, you know, debt to income ratio can kind of get exhausted and mm-hmm. um, it, it gets tricky for the traditional route. In terms of 
Um, perhaps you can talk to your your deal flow at the moment. So how um, properties come in, how you analyze them, and then how you decide to make a a creative offer or a traditional offer or put them back out to to the market. Can you talk us through that process? Yeah. So we basically have deal flow from three different areas. So we JV with people uh, within creative finance communities or whatever, wholesalers, like I mentioned, and try to convert their deals to creative if possible. Um, so are we, yeah, so we JV with people, especially people who think they have a warm lead and don't know how to take a property to the finish line. So we'll basically uh, split the assignment. If we're going to wholesale it together, we'll split the assignment on that and we'll help show them every step of the way of, hey, you think you have a warm lead because this person is a motivated seller. Um, cool, let's let's work together on this deal. We'll help you lock it up under contract. We'll help with negotiation, transaction coordination, uh, disposition or selling it to an end buyer or my business partner and I end up buying the deals as well. So that's that's one route. Like I said, we do something similar with wholesalers, but we have specific partnerships with really good wholesalers and markets that we like to buy in. And then we convert those to creative. And we also have our own wholesale team. Basically, I guess I have two wholesale teams. My business partner. Um, so I didn't mention this yet, but uh, I have a business partner, um, Adam Catledge, and we started Coast to Coast Vets. So we're basically nationwide buyers, ideally of creative deals. We have properties in Alaska, California, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. You know, we're buying more and we wholesale all like the, a, a ton of other states. So basically... We generate deals through, like, uh, we basically partner with people to educate them on creative financing and then help and then help them build rapport with agents or uh, sellers and then kind of show them how to do that initial data gathering uh, lead generation phase. And then we help close the deals and dispo them and all that. And then I also use the traditional, like, virtual assistant route where I have virtual assistants targeting specific uh, lists where they're doing text blasting, cold calling. It's a lot less personal um you know but that we so i kind of have that generation method as well but the end goal for us is to always buy deals so we try to underwrite deals very conservatively as if we're always the end buyer and sometimes we have enough capital to purchase ourselves sometimes we have enough private money lending partners or equity partners to help us purchase those deals because we don't have to prove where those funds come from to anyone right because we're just working directly with the seller typically um and then other times, you know, maybe it's in a state that we don't want to own property. And for example, we'll wholesale a ton in Florida and Texas. I just don't like the volatility. I, like I said, I'm very conservative. So I like stability. So I don't like the volatility of property taxes and insurance just getting jacked up year over year. I don't like that uncertainty. So it's for us, it's better to make 10, 20, 30K on an assignment than it is to own that property, you know, long term. So that's kind of our decision making process. And we're always underwriting for kind of ridiculous criteria when you hear it um, relative to like a conventional buyer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Investories podcast. And uh, as you can imagine, we're super stoked with that content, amazing strategies, amazing techniques um, that we've really been able to dig into. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that, which is really all about uh, the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same. We're going to call it Wednesday Wins and we're going to tackle that on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.